0: Welcome to another episode of Mass Adoption, where we try to look silly while while talking about serious things, or the other way around. I'm not sure. And with us today, we have Mr. P. Rawson, Patrick Rawson, Papa Rawson. How are you doing, Patrick?
1: I'm doing well. You know, it's been a delightful afternoon. We had, you know, a little bit of whiskey, and we've talked about life. And you know, I I think it's worth highlighting that this is a, a special episode. Because we have the opportunity to speak to each other, so the the shared story between Pat and Felipe. Um, so, so as you may know, I, I used to work for a uh, project in the uh, DAO space. A DAO is a decentralized autonomous organization. It's a, uh, uh, as I like to define it, a blockchain native uh, governance controller. And um, you and I met at this this. Uh, specific project because we were both working for the, the the company uh that is spearheading this project so we both worked on the communication staff and um, we, we really got to know each other there didn't we
0: yeah yeah so just so you know the the mass adoption audience is all crypto people all the 35 of them that watch this project religiously i'm very happy you guys are all there i i think i know who half of you are Spotify gives me incredible data on all of you, but um, so me and Patrick we used to work together at Dowstack, at the communications team, and he was my direct report. Um, I infiltrated my way into the project by being very um, prolific at the DAO, Genesis, which I always miss somehow. And
1: I think I think the Genesis Commons was a great place to incubate uh, some of the new discourses that are proliferating now. And I, I want to, to highlight, uh, for instance, the, the Commons stack. Uh, they're, they're having their own sort of uh, trusted seed round um, raising funds for, for their own um, version of what, what I would consider a conceptual iteration of, of what the Genesis Commons was.:
0: Oh, yeah, I should go check it out actually, because I'm out of a job. Um, but the things and I love all of them, by the way, and we've ha- we have had the luck. Of, uh, I think it was our first guest was Griff Green on this podcast.
1: Griff's amazing.
0: Yeah. And he told his story and it was a great jam. So going back to Genesis is going to come up several times throughout this episode because the goal of this episode is to look into a series of blog posts that Pat is writing. Um, It's disguised as a marketing effort for his new company Curve Labs, but it's really not. I know enough about Patrick to understand that this is a long-time fascination, sort of pardon the vulgarity, a hard-on that he has had on understanding um, what is the macro-weave of all of our efforts, crypto or non-crypto, into creating an immunological system for communities against the excesses of neoliberalism, right? And um, would you feel that that's an accurate description? Of the mission,
1: I I would say that that is a a very specific description, but I I appreciate the specificity there. So my um, training or my my education was uh, at the Elliott School of International Affairs in in downtown Washington D.C. And I there there I did a a degree in in international relations, um, specifically international economics, and so so this is a life passion for me, understanding um, macroeconomic systems and understanding uh, the relationships of states and other institutional actors within a, a broader um, sort of macroeconomic uh, milieu, right? So, and, and, and just to give some, some insight into what the Elliott School is like, you know, the, the school was across from the US State Department and uh, just a couple of blocks from the, the White House. and. There, I I really had an opportunity to uh, learn and and discover um, the way the global system functions um, from the the sort of uh, hegemonic uh, American perspective, because that that was the perspective at the time, and that is perhaps still the perspective today, but we are are witnessing um, sort of an empire in decline, uh, if you will. If you look at what has happened to America since the, the the fall of the Soviet Union is that the externalization of uh, the othering of in this conflict, where we we, we uh, created an enemy in the Soviet Union and we we contained the uh, the advance of communism uh, anywhere in the world. And when I say we, I'm referring to myself as a you know also an American, but I I don't necessarily mean that I identify with this this hegemonic identity. Um. You know, America has turned inwards since then, and this this inwards turn is is being um, demonstrated today with these giant riots, um, with uh, the the rise of uh, various populist movements uh, within the United States, whether it's the the alt right or um, sort of this leftist uh, progressive narrative, and um, in in a sense the the. Uh, the empire is, is in flames and uh, there is a radical uh, shifting of ideological boundaries and a radical change in the world order that, that is approaching. And I'm, I'm very excited about it. And I'm excited about exploring the relationship of the cryptosphere, which I define as the aggregate of all crypto networks um, today um, in this, this new uh, global constellation.
0: Yeah.
1: I would go as far as
0: saying that our friendship and, and kinship, I would go by, is a signifier of the shift and, and the enabler for this relationship to exist, uh, where we've often joked and felt that we're mirror images across geography and class of each other, have the cryptosphere as the enabler of this possibility. Yeah, um, it's, a,
1: it's a great uh, sort of universalizing mechanism. It can bring together people. Um, it can form a coalition of people uh, ranging from, uh, uh, you know, a Brazilian who, who grew up in sort of this, um, you know, difficult environment and an American who has, um, you know, had uh, a lot more privilege in life. Um, so it's it's brought us together and, and we're now talking and we're having the same conversation. And that's, that's really exciting to me because that means that this conversation is accessible, um, that this narrative can continue to grow. Um, but we need, I think, in my in my opinion, we need to um, change the narrative uh, a little bit as well so that it does become even more universalizing from what it is today.
0: Okay. So I, I'm going to make a comment on the blog post, and then I'm going to walk, take the time machine back to the past and give you the traditional first question of method option. I'm just saying I, I've... So we're we gathered here to talk about the series of, of blog posts that Pat have been put putting together. Um and I finally took the time to, to see sit and read through them carefully. Um I'm not all the way through yet because they're quite large, but I felt like you were on a mission to reduce um this, let's say the educational debt. So to put it in simpler ways, I felt like reading the, that text, I was having the conversations that I wanted to absorb from you, but we never had the time because I, we were always on a mission to solve a problem for tech itself. And it's sort of like I was waiting to absorb that information, which is a highly condensed, um, simmered uh, research that is f- both far and wide, both crypto and non-crypto, about the uh, Main economical trends and um, power structures that are coming together, the challenges that are poised and how the failures are going and where we, how we could fix them right so as I read those texts, I felt um, that they were guided by a deep sense of service um, i didn 't see a lot of Patrick expressing himself and trying to sound um, touching. You're really not trying to reveal anything about yourself other than the inevitable fact that you think things should change. Um, how do you feel if I, if I say this? Do you feel? Um, and let's give this a short answer because we're going to go deep into this. And, and I do want to talk about Elliot and about Oregon and about how you discovered crypto after this. Just a heads up.
1: Yeah, Uh, it sounds exciting.
0: But when I say like, I know you're supposed to be doing um, trust building, authority claiming for your uh, early stage, I wouldn't even call a startup, it's a service design, it's a service company, Mm -hmm. Um, but how did this uh, content strategy morphed as you advanced?
1: I, I think for me, um, you know, I, I really, so I, I lived, uh, I used to live in New York and I, I used to work in corporate advertising. And I'm going to try to keep this answer short, um, as, as you've asked. And Well, maybe you can just swerve
0: into the story. You already kind of did, so it's fine. We'll,
1: we'll, we'll, we'll swerve. Um, and I, I found myself unhappy. New York. So I'd been there for five years um, in in this corporate advertising realm and and it had kind of gotten old uh, for me. And I was very, very lucky at the time um, because I had uh, purchased some Ethereum uh, early on um, and I made some money from it. I made enough money to to, to pay off my my college debt, um, which was significant. Uh, GW, uh, George Washington University was one of the most expensive universities, I believe the most expensive university in, in uh, the U.S. at the time. And uh, I, I paid this debt with the, the money that I had made, and in a Can sense... Can I just like, zoom in? Uh, yeah, sure. Because this is the part I never asked.
0: I know this story quite well, I'm not saying that you shouldn't tell it, but I want to zoom in at the, like, what was the... How did you overcome the not knowing what Ethereum was? So you probably had some contact with like blockchain technologies in general uh, or probably Bitcoin before. And how would, did you cross this chasm into purchasing your first coins of whatever?
1: So I found it uh, initially, I discovered Ethereum on, on Reddit. Um, I discovered it with the launch of the Enterprise uh, Ethereum Alliance, the EBA. Um, this was in a very, very early 2017. And uh, before that, though, I, I purchased some Bitcoin in like 2013, 2014, um, kind of as a, a gimmick. You know, I purchased some Dogecoin, too, at the, at the time. And, uh, you know, what this post reminded me was that I, I did have some Bitcoin and I, I wanted to check if it was worth anything. Um, so it was it was coming from a place of, of profit, you know. It was coming from you know your, your your speculator's perspective, if you will. And I think this is actually the the biggest funnel into crypto. It starts with speculation. It starts with people playing with these new financial artifacts, and then it becomes something deeper from, from there. So um, I, I saw this announcement. on Reddit. I checked the price of Bitcoin. I'm like, oh, great! I made some money on this Bitcoin that I bought. A lot of money. Uh, not a lot of money because it was only like you know one bitcoin or or something and at the time it was worth uh uh, you know fifteen hundred dollars two thousand dollars in early 2017 and for me though i made a thousand dollars so i was like yeah i'm gonna sell this amazing Um, and i I took that thousand and then i i put that thousand into ethereum because i'm like well, you know, if Bitcoin went up in price, uh, it's totally logical that this, this new coin, uh, Ethereum, would, would go up in price as well. And it was a very sort of naive way, way of approaching the market, but uh, at the end of the day, a very lucky one, um, the, the way that it turned out. But I want to I go back to this, this story of, of, you know, how, how uh, I approached the blog posts and, and where these came from mm-hmm. um, initially. So uh, I was unhappy in New York. I was free from this job because I paid off this debt and I, I had a little leftover and I, I left the job. I, I was totally done with it. And I left New York as well. I, I wanted to go back to school at that point and, and get a graduate degree. So I ended up going back to DC. I, I went back at a weird time. So the semester didn't start until September, but I, I moved there in, in March or April um, formally um, so I had some time to kill. Oh, no, pardon me. It was even earlier than that. It, the, the semester started in September, and I moved there in uh, December of the year before. So December of 2016. Um, so you
0: have like nine months to fuck around.
1: Nine months to, um, uh, you know, pursue my own interests. And one of my own interests was uh, became um, exploring economics, um, revisiting my love of macroeconomics. When I was in advertising, I was in creative side. So I was, I was an art director um, and a motion graphics designer. Um, and I had really left behind, in a sense, this, this love of, of global policy and, and, and macroeconomics. So I returned to this uh, discourse. And that's when I started um, learning the things that I would today, um, three years later, apply uh, in these uh, specific blog posts.
0: So that's when you started mapping inside your own schema of understanding of the world uh, where the issues lie. Uh,
1: I, I think I started with what does the terrain look like before I moved on to where the issues lie. And then did this, did this graduate degree ever happen? No. So the, the advisor um, there was a, a deeply troubled man. Um, and I had a couple of arguments with him. Um, and at the, at the time, uh, Dowstack, uh, I'd been working for them um, for about six months. Um, i had helped them through their token sale, and uh, they they made me an offer. They said, listen, uh, you can keep working for us as the, the head of our communications um, if you don't end up going to graduate school. And and I decided to take that offer because it was, um, you know, uh an opportunity that, that I wanted to pursue, and on the other on the other hand, this this uh, graduate schooling, this advisor, I, I knew that that would become a source of conflict in my life, and I didn't like the idea of someone trying to control the way that I wanted to pursue my own education.
0: Yeah. So by the time I show up, how long have you been? working as the, the communications director for the OSTAC.
1: Well, I started uh, in that role in August of 2017 and you showed up in November. August 2018. August, August 2018. Yes. yes, August of 2018, you're, you're right. So
0: that's when you start as well.
1: As, as the, the, the lead of the, <clears throat> the comms. Well,
0: I show up actually in September, one month afterwards. Lovely. And then I start working for you on the beginning of December.
1: I wouldn't say you were working for me, um, I'm uncomfortable with that description, but I would say that um, you created something for yourself that I saw value in, and I wanted to put myself behind. No, 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 it was,
0: let's be clear, Estratis was the <laughs> defender of the idea of this project, this book that came together. <clears throat> and... um yeah, we. I, I was able to turn what was an external ask into something that I created for myself. I guess that's something that we created something special. Um, I actually think we haven't leveraged it enough. We should like.
1: We should get this book out there
0: printed someday. Yeah, yeah, or something like this. And also, your, your like your blog post would be like a third of the book by now, like the size of it, because um, the book is 175 pages.
1: Yeah, I think the, the two posts that have gone out so far together are about um, 42 pages. I think. Yeah.
0: Maybe we should make its own book. Maybe we should make the, the Curve Labs decentralized thriving version.
1: I, I think, you know, if I could raise funds to, to write a book um, on, on crypto networks and the emerging crypto sphere, I, I would be delighted to, to sort of take that mantle and try to turn it into something meaningful. And maybe I'll even create a Gitcoin a grant for this.
0: Yeah, you should. I think we should do that. Uh, hear that, funders. Uh, these posts are your avenue of entrance into upgrading your perspective or at least enlarging the horizon for which you perceive the mission that's hidden behind these crypto efforts and how they connect to the larger um, landscape of being a group of semi haired. Linguistically addicted apes on the surface of a planet. And connecting these both of these or all of the encompassing dynamics in in each level, in each fractal system of relevance from DeFi all the way up to um, the environment um, is certainly a how to say a win, I didn't want to use such a simple word, but it's, yeah, it's a win of this text and it does it in sort of short form. He it says it's 45 pages, but it, it doesn't feel like 45 pages. It feels like very careful um, hyperloop. How do how do they say it on Star Wars when you take the-
1: Hyperspace. Yeah,
0: so although it is 45 pages, it feels like it's you're, you're being taken into hyperspace. Um, I even felt respected in a certain way as I was reading because there's so many opportunities to just uh, revel in psychedelia and, and impossible description at every level of this rhizomatic fractal structure that is um, the way humanity has spanned over space and time throughout the last like seventy thousand years. But the author, who we um, or it's even like a little bit fake that patches the author. I'd like to say because. The, the conglomerate of Genesis uh, agents that came together to help the description of the text. Like, Pat is the c- catalyst yeah, of I, that Yeah, I knowledge. think it,
1: it deserves to be said that uh, my, my longtime contributor um, and, and really close friend, uh, Ezra Weller, has put uh, quite a bit of effort into this text. Um, I would say the same thing, too, about Pedro um, Parachia. Parachia. Um, yeah. Parachia, yes, I knew I'd say that wrong. Um, so he is a, an activist in Brazil and he is one of the most passionate and capable individuals I've, I've had the opportunity to, to speak with. Um, and there's a whole host of other uh, major and minor contributors who have uh, taken the time to read this text and to you know, make sure it is as inclusive and as um, sort of airtight as possible when it comes to presenting this, this particular perspective. So. I'm really, really lucky to have these people around me, and I, I hope they continue to, to value me as much as I value them.
0: Yeah, so th- th- this airtightness is what I wanted to like assure our listeners, and and the text will be linked in the description. Um, if he feels that, oh, this is large, understand that you're getting the most bang for the buck in terms of text that you've ever gotten before. Like Just go for it. Um, and I... I am an artistic, dyslexic, left-handed idiot, and I had no trouble navigating the text. So, thank you for putting it together. I feel like it's an ecosystemic map of the challenges we face as a collection of, uh, I mean, I would say it's a a manifesto for the survival of the mammalian cause on planet Earth. I think you don't think enough about plants just yet, but all the mammals (laughs) are… Incom- encompassed and loved by by the text, you know? And I guess that's as far as we can get in terms of being generous to, to living things. I, I do prefer plants myself, and I would let the, the mammals just wither away, but.
1: Yeah, I, I try to avoid um, this sort of sense of anthropocentrality. Um, and I, I really, the, the, the second part of the blog, um, and maybe maybe I can offer a, a sort of a, a cursory insight into parts one and two, um, short review, so Go our, for our listeners know what we're mm-hmm. talking about. Um, so the, the, the first part is titled the, the Twilight of Neoliberalism. And in it, I try to discuss um, the current state of the world and the current state of this, this bifurcated system where we have uh, a core financial network um, uh, essentially dominating and, and ex- exploiting, uh, exploitating uh, a wide network of actors um, outside of it. You know, and we could say this is labor in the Global South. Um, we could say it's labor in the Global South and the Global North. Um, uh, there's, there's a lot of um, description of, of this, this coalition that, that needs to be done. Um, but in this, I, I also, you know, draw attention to uh, crypto networks and the crypto sphere as being able to appropriate the mechanics of these, these um, exploitative institutions. So we have, um, with crypto networks, the ability to take um, traditional fiscal, monetary, and corporate um, powers and economic interventions and finance and appropriate them, and build them into the, the, these uh, smart contract institutions. Now in the second part, this is where I started to get a sense of the way that I had failed to, to address something important. And the thing that I wasn't addressing was the biophysical uh, capacity of, of the Earth to continue to sustain humanity. So the creative constraint of the race? The, the constraints of, of the Anthropos, um, as, as I like to call it. And uh, for me, this was a very, very important thing to acknowledge. And I, I do think I acknowledge it at length, um, because if crypto networks simply do as has been done, if they appropriate these institutions without radically redefining them, then we are going to continue on this pathway to uh, permanent systemic volatility, um, permanent um, sort of a permanent a poverty of, of being, uh, if I can go that far. So resolving this, this uh, metaphysical problem and saying that, hey, we should take the environment as our lodestar. We should take the biosphere as... Um, protecting the biosphere and letting the biosphere protect us, or at least acknowledging that it does protect us um, from um, systemic volatility. Mm-hmm. Um, that, was, that was very, very important to do. And I, I do that before going into the types of strategic institutional interventions that can be uh, and should be appropriated by crypto networks. Yeah, so from,
0: from a crypto agent perspective, the text is bleak. Um, I would say, because it's non-apologetic in its judgment of the current, um, let's say, failure to meet um, the vision of the current uh, cryptosphere. But it does so in a way that I feel is generous and prepositive. And it also makes a general um, statement that is a big statement, which is, the accounting, so uh, this is something I used to say in my startup world, which is you are what you track. Basically, the text is one big, the second the second blog is just one big uh, instrumentalized uh, exploration of the conclusion of you are what you track. Mm-hmm. And then it offers that... Everything we do should be at least, if not to protect, because this this is your goal. Maybe we have a dark evil Tao that wants to destroy the environment. It would still have to load bear. It still would have to account itself against the environment. And right now the environment is this, we just are happy to have it as a, unknown, as a known unknown, that we, do, we don't care to track or to, to metricize because it's an externality, it's irrelevant. As long as we are accumulating currency, everything's going to be fine. So the text identifies as the main vice of the system, this this having this um, insufficient or this deficient language of value that is just about accumulating this one specific currency that has successfully become a global hegemony, um, but still fails to... S- to account for the existence of the globe under it, as it main as its main limiting capacity.
1: I would go one step further. Uh, I would say that it, it's it's not about the globe being under it. The the globe is what surrounds us. The, the biosphere is what we are embedded within.
0: Sorry, I had a gravitational bias there.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> An anthropocentric <laughs> bias. Yeah, 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 that, I apologize.
0: I apologize.
1: Um, so we we are. Um, and, and this, this is, I want to, I want to show a book here. I want to show the book donut economics. Yes. It's been on my list. Um, so this was written by a very, very bright lady. Her name is Kate Raworth. And she, um, basically said, listen, the, the way we are accounting in our economic systems today for our externalities is fundamentally flawed and it's flawed because it's going to lead to the, uh, uh, end of, uh, civilization as, as we know it, um, and I, I don't want to say it'll lead to the end of humanity, but it'll lead to the end of this sort of comfortable period where the, the core is really enjoying itself and, and really happy with itself, and the periphery um, is perhaps less comfortable, but, you know, global poverty Still more is, comfortable uh, than ever. We're still we're, more comfortable we're than we ever, we could say. Yeah. Um, and, you know, she, she says, listen, we have to change this. We have to, to look at... Uh, um, heterodox economics. We have to look at biophysical economics. We have to look at um, ecolo- economics so ecological economics. Um, we have to look at thermoeconomics. And, and we have to, uh, to come up with a new unit of accounts that is biophysically embedded. We have to, to come up with something which um, uh, is calculating these externalities and looking at the totality of the system. And uh, to me, the the system as is, is it can never do this. It, it's simply the, the, the dollar and its synthetic variants that exist globally, uh, and these synthetics could be represented as the entire shadow banking sector, You know this, this terrible um, derivative market which is going around and um, not internalizing risk, but actually doing the opposite. Um Ponzi. You know, if we, if we want to use that language, sure. Um, well, but,
0: uh, let me know when it's appropriate for me to go on my about Ponzi's. Because I, <laughs> you know, once you put the Ponzi lens on, you just see Ponzi's everywhere. A family is a Ponzi, everything's a fucking
1: Ponzi. So uh, let's go into this later. Um, but when you, when you look at this, it's, it's just a failed accounting system. And, um, you know, double, double entry bookkeeping kicked off. Um, uh, financial capitalism as it exists today. And uh, what I'm saying is that we need to change our, our bookkeeping. And uh, actually, blockchain is a, is a really good way of bookkeeping. You know, it is a ledger. Like, we are dealing with distributed ledger technology. So why not use this? And why not use this to create a new way of measuring value, a way that is um, honoring... The, these, these biophysical limitations that we experience, and use that as the basis of, of a, a new global accounting system. So far, so good.
0: This is something that a lot of people have said before, but then the text goes one step further, which I enjoyed very much, which is by um, trying to elevate this, um, you use a lot of acronyms, you're clearly American, from, from the, the sort of military complex sort of universe, everything is an acronym. I'll take it,
1: that as a compliment.
0: It's not. And then you have the SSE, which is uh, the Social Solidarity Economics. Uh, there's many other things that are SSEs. I think we should name these things differently. Uh, every I, I Googled every acronym in the text, and there's always like 25, 34 different variants. But <coughs> let's call them SSEs, which are basically these... Um, Communal efforts to create self, um, self-recurring self- economies. Economies that pay attention to themselves and create inner systems of value. This is something that's very natural to me. Growing up as an activist in Brazil, we've done this many times. So we create value systems that value other things. We create ways to account for hours or other types of contribution. You have Lala de Renzelin, which is. Uh, a theorist, futurist in Brazil, that everybody should know the the, the uh, four dimensional matrix of value. These are things that are embedded to peripheral economies, uh, strategies that we've created to protect ourselves from having to always exchange with the core, because since the exchange uh, narrative is always um, biased or bent towards value to the core, at every exchanger you have loss of value. So, very quickly, the smart communities at the periphery learn to keep trading amongst themselves to keep value inbound, right? So, that's what an SSC is, I guess. And what the text starts to to profess is the idea that you can create a communal um, uh, accounting mechanism that can not only allow SSCs to account themselves, but allows them to create a global interchange network, a form of SSCs. Right, a rhizomatic, self-reliant network that exists above, or below, or within the hegemonic system, but sort of mentald protected, and away from it. Um, but then interfacing with it once necessary. Listen.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so the SSE, the the social and solidarity economy, um, is is. You know, this, this description of it is, is sort of an analytical framework more than anything else. You know, it's hard to pin down what is an SSE um, community and what isn't. But um, within this sort of… There's the- this
0: literal, really nice part of, of the text of when you say when, when the community does it, when the periphery does it, it's community, and when the
1: core does it, it's collusion. But everybody does it the same way. Um, yeah. So, so cooperation and and collusion are the same words. Uh, pardon me, not the same words, but they have the same meaning. They mean um, entities that are working together to 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 achieve something, right? And when the core does it, it's you know the the, the twelve largest banks working together to to price fix commodities markets. And when the um, the periphery does it, it is called community development. It is called. Uh, um, you know a local exchange trading system, and this is this. Is, I, I focus on this. I focus on the SSE because I've gotten very tired of the direction that um, blockchain is going. You know, if you look at the decentralized finance sector, um, it's going more and more towards total financial abstraction. And you know, they're creating derivatives. They're creating um, uh, D- DXDY. Just launched their their uh, perpetual BTC swaps uh, contract, um, you know, and and this is to me representative of the same problem that we've been dealing with with uh, finance as it exists today. You know, it's not innovative in that it is not actually creating value for marginalized communities, and so I, I want to change the direction that we're going. I want to steer it towards uh, local circuits of production and consumption. And empowering these local communities. Um, uh, one of my favorite philosophers is Peter Sloterdijk, and Sloterdijk um, has a, a theory of general immunology, and he, he looks at, with with this theory, he's looking at um, how culture is created, but how culture survives. You know, what is the characteristics of a culture that that uh, generation after generation is perpetuated? And um, he describes this as co-immunity. That's, that's his term for it. And so, you know, the question that I, I want to answer is, how do we create these co-immune localities? And how to, uh, and, and the great thing about blockchain is that we don't have to do it in isolation. We don't have to say, okay, this community in Kenya, this community in Argentina, and this um, community in Europe, in Berlin, perhaps, um, need to be isolated communities. We can say, "Oh, wow! We can build financial constellations. We can build these geometries of cooperation between these three communities on a de- decentralized ledger that that wasn't possible before." And and for this, I, I described uh, a, a global SSC. You know, a, a global local um, uh, interaction. So. Um, the global being this, this new financial substrate that is ideally biophysically contained, and the local being the all of these nodes that already exist today that could use solutions like this, and we should be providing solutions for. Yeah, so I don't know if this will
0: come on the third episode that I haven't read yet, but um, the main inflexibility of the text, because there, the text, as it evolves, it says… Uh, it seems to be this, but it could be that, etc. There's one main thing that the text is not flexible about, which is that as long as we remain awash in a monoculture of monies to which the language of value is always translated back to the to an ever prevalent euro dollar, um, we are fucked. That's an inflexible uh, sort of stance of the text. and. I, I have no problem agreeing, but I realize that all of our crypto networks um, are, at some point or the other, um, related back to, to, to the fiat money, right? So, in a certain way, we are many steps away from a world where people will be saying, man, my euro is only worth, like, four bitcoins today, instead of the other way around, right? Um,
1: so, what what you're describing… Um, I call the the problem of crypto offerings. I'm sure there's a, a better description here. But if you look at the user journey of using a cryptocurrency, you know, that that user journey usually starts with, okay, I'm going to go to Coinbase or Kraken or some centralized exchange and I'm going to buy um, some, some Bitcoin or some some Ether if you want to be a bit more interesting. Um, they then uh, discover that, oh, wow, custodial um, control of my ether is, is bad. Um, and they, they then create a wallet and they transfer it to their wallet. And then they discover, oh, you know, I can uh, do things with this ether. I can um, swap it on Uniswap or I can uh, use it in some decentralized finance application. And, and they play around with this a bit.
0: Or even get some bitcoins in the YDUX. Bring YDUX, brought to you by Patrick Ross. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> to, our, to our not-so-crypto listeners, the YDX is a non-custodial exchange, um, a DEX, a decentralized exchange, and BTC, eternal swaps. Is that means that they are providing liquidity to exchanging any Ethereum ERC-20 token or not. I don't know. I haven't checked it for mm-hmm. Ethereum-wrapped Bitcoin. Is that what it is?
1: Um, so, so the, the BTC swaps contract—they've created a, a futures contract, um, and I, I don't believe it's against Ether. I believe it's against USDC. To, to start. Okay. Um, but this is uh, what BitMEX is. If you're familiar with yeah. Um and these these uh, futures contracts—they settle every given period, and there's open interest, so people have open positions, but. You know, let's let's not get into the the, the, the side okay. necessarily. Let's let's go back to this user
0: journey. I um, just try to offer the listeners uh, that because nowadays I know what some of these things are, but I'm still very aware of my pain in my beginner days in crypto when I was just consuming podcasts profusely, trying to catch up, trying to make you proud, Matan Pro, whoever, like trying to be a, a efficient operative. So I try to provide um, the nuggets. Compacted, but it's fine. So yeah, go check DYDX out. If anything, if everything sounded super weird, um, I remember when I found about it. Find out about it. It wasn't too long ago, actually.
1: So so, going back to the user journey. You
0: know, yeah, of crypto.
1: So, so now the user has traded a bit, swapped some tokens, you know, done some stuff on Ethereum. But the one thing the user wants to do. The one thing the user needs to do is pay their rent, buy groceries, Mm -hmm. um, engage with their community, with their local environments in a monetary way. And this is the one thing that crypto doesn't do. Um, We don't have communities creating their own currencies. You you can kind of do it today. You can can get maybe a card or something like this. But all this card is doing is returning that crypto back to fiat and then making a fiat payment.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: So there, there is no um, a sort of sink for, for crypto. You know, crypto does not stay crypto. It, it, moves, it comes from fiat and it moves back into fiat in some fashion. Um, and, and this is a problem. There are no local circuits of production and exchange that have their own crypto, use their own crypto, and maintain the value of their crypto in a crypto-native way. And and this is the biggest problem today. Except for when
0: Metacartel gets an Airbnb together, yeah, it doesn't happen.
1: But even then they are paying for that Airbnb actually in fiat, yeah. In FI- yeah.
0: We have to buy a city, Patrick.
1: My strategy, or what I think the strategy should be for adoption, is, is don't buy a city. Go to a city and say, listen, if you create a parallel currency, if you create a complementary currency. You can expand the things that can be done in this way and that way. You know, you can make your budget go further and you can lessen your dependence on, on national and state actors. And this is there are a number of activist cities where this is totally valuable. This has been done in several places without cryptocurrency. Without cryptocurrency, yes. yeah. In Brazil, several examples. Um, you know, we, we can look at local exchange trading systems. There's, uh, As of 2013, there were nearly 1,500 globally that were being operated, but none of them were being operated on blockchain. And because of that, um, or once we add blockchain into the mix, we get sort of this exciting ability to add governance, to add uh, economic primitives. As long as you
0: have smart contract. As, as long as you
1: have smart contract. Um, and what's your take? Do
0: you think we should uh, make like layer one sidechain making as easy, as easy as like writing a blog post, or do you think we should be loading all of these guys on Ethereum?
1: So I, I think side chains are perfectly acceptable. I think, Um, You don't need layer one security for for many of the operations that um, many of these actors uh, have to have to undertake. Um, I think that layer one uh, being universal though is is also important. I think that um, you know, it it doesn't do us a lot of good to have a bunch of different uh, non-interoperable architectures existing and different ecosystems being proliferated because of that we need to work together and we need to work together uh, with a single uh, dominant platform architecture and that architecture you know by nature of it's being dominant will will accumulate a network effect and from it will emerge more Is and more this complex configurations curve
0: labs would be interesting in designing sort of uh Copy and bastable sidechain architecture with its own uh, standardized bridges to to Ethereum mainnet.
1: I don't think we're looking at that. Um, I Yet. think there are good alternatives today. Yeah. You know, looking at something like um, uh, Poa network, or what would you show
0: Poa Cosmos? Uh,
1: Poa, um, PoS, Dao. Um, I, I think that's another good one. Um, to be honest, I'm, I'm skeptical of, of Cosmos and Polkadot. I'm skeptical of the intentions of the founder of Polkadot. You know, I don't mm-hmm. think Gavin Wood is in a very good place when he analyzes Ethereum. He's he hypercritical to the point of being um, you know, uh, not useful to the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that it's good to have a competitive marketplace of layer ones, but I also think that it's very likely that Ethereum will emerge as the winner. Um, but going going back to these, these sidechain architectures, you know, um, I'm, I, I think PoE Network, uh, to me, uh, is the dominant design pattern and will, will be the dominant design pattern. Um, and that's perfectly fine. And I think currencies can run on these things. I think DAOs can govern these things. And I think, um, you know, Curve Labs is more interested in. You know, we when we analyze side chains, we see chi- side chains as just another primitive and a group of primitives that, when combined, um, form a uh, an institutional um, entity.
0: Almost like we're trying to understand the types of articles and, and paragraphs that we can have in these techno cyber constitutions mm-hmm. of future future human organizations and organisms. And having a standardized pattern allows for the creation of relational pathways that can be then automated and having a shared language of value um, that will allow for vastly more efficient uh, legal landscape.
1: Yeah. So, you know, at, in Curve Labs, the, the way that we approach this, um, we approach it through a framework, which is we call Cybernetic Object X. And in Cybernetic Object X, we we basically, we've mapped all of the primitives um, that that exist on Ethereum today. Um, The different DeFi projects, the different DAO projects, the the different sort of operational primitives, content management, identity, and and, and what have you. And we see sort of the the firing of different constellations of primitives being um, institutional particulars um, similarly to the way we might see certain combinations of, of bylaws and um, you know, uh, constitutional primitives, such as separation of powers, as forming a, a legal framework. Mm-hmm.
0: All
1: right. So now, Pat, we're armed
0: with these... Uh, let's say that we achieve the world where we're armed with the cyber constitutional language that allows for... A accountable, equitable, which are two different things, um, interface between um, the informational layer and the real world layer, and we've become able to do accounting on things we haven't been able before, and they will hopefully include to a certain percentage things that are now considered invisible externalities. What now?
1: Let's let's rephrase that. Okay, it's, it's not about hopefully including. You. It's about we have to include these. If we don't, we simply fail to succeed. We, we simply enter a, a period of prolonged decay of civilization that cannot be contained or, or stabilized or attenuated in any meaningful fashion. So that's that's not something that is a nice to have, it's it's something that must have or must have.
0: Yeah, but my psychedelic mind sees that we are already in this decay stage for about, let's say, the better part of the last 60 years. But there are also other trends that are upcoming and, and language will never be able. This might actually be at the, at the source of the problem. Language is not able to accurately describe without, within available space time um, the nature of the problem. At all times, and we must make all of these compromises in what we choose to frame and, and highlight. Um, so, taking notice that we are approaching the fifty-minute mark of this episode, um, how can me and my audience better serve this mission? One and second, what do you think are the are the inevitable um, inevitable selling points and the inevitable next sales cycles of this meme? Um, so that we can start turning the world into a more uh, social and solidary economical landscape.
1: So the the first and perhaps most hidden thing that can be done is is a community garden, is uh, embracing bioregenerative agriculture and embracing um, community initiatives that begin to educate and um, demonstrate the viability of these parallel economies. We need to remake um, our civilization in a more sustainable way. And this is not something which is a, a blockchain problem, but it is something that we can imagine a blockchain solution for. The, the big problem here is creating this network of sustainability advocates um, creating a threshold for advancing a, a, a green new deal if you will and and this is where i think um, we can start all right well so
0: if i try to clean that up you would say that the first step would be the seeding of a lot of initiatives that create wealth from the abundance of the ecosphere itself, from Mother Nature, if you allow me to sound a bit childish, right? So extracting value the same, the same way, actually, in which the core has been extracting value in an exploitative manner. Um, to do it in, in a way that is um, community-first or a community-exit way?
1: Yeah, so we need a, a sort of a, a pedagogy of illiquidity. We need to, to learn how to revalue things that we traditionally have not valued. We need to learn how to value childcare. We need to learn how to value the environment. We need to learn how to value... Um, the household economy which has all but disappeared and been replaced by thousands of invisible persons um, in sweatshops um, uh, all along different parts of the supply chain.
0: Also community managers
1: and blockchain. Community <laughs> managers and <in> blockchain <laughs> they're a really big <laughs> group which um, actually uh, there was recently a, a post or um, a discussion about the threshold of developers we need in the blockchain world and the interesting thing to me is, is you can figure out, you know, the amount of technical experts that That was by need. Kames, Kames wrote that post. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah, that's um,
0: pretty good. That we don't, need, we don't need that many developers because we need to develop a certain set of primitives and you need to make those primitives really
1: airtight. Exactly. And I, I don't think there's a cap on the number of community managers we need. I think every person can be a community manager. Well, I'm
0: now 33 years old and I bet my entire life on the fact that someday soon um, facilitators are going to be the most important profession in the world. By now, I think I'm going to be 70. By then, I think I'm going to be 75 or something. But I'm here building my, my capacity. And um, insofar as my impact on the crypto it's it's a hidden facilitation effort. In the end, everything I've created from the small opportunities I've been given inside community teams or um, operating under DAOs or the grant that I'm now developing with agency, it's all just one big hidden facilitation effort, one participatory art experiment um, where I see the main resource being human attention and how we leverage it in, in ways that create more desire, more more engaging engagement of human attention, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, creating a fractal of, let's say, the 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 super mindful cluster rhizome that makes people hyper aware of each other and super meta caring.
1: You know, um, if if I could interject here, please do. I would say the, the things that people can do to start to achieve this vision. Are extremely simple. Stop playing video games. Stop engaging in virtual worlds. Stop engaging in Netflix. Stop, in, uh, uh, you know, engaging in recreational or uh, 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 prescribed drugs. Um, and start engaging your attention into creating a future. Into creating a, a future that matters. A future that's real. You know, we can we can go the direction that has been articulated in um ready player one right this this steven Spielberg directed movie it's a popular sci-fi novel and in this novel there is this rich valuable virtual world but the real world has gone uh uh, into the dumps if you will and if we are going to to do the opposite have a rich valuable real world and a, a a virtual world which we don't engage with to the point of it being mentally unhealthy of being uh, uh, changing our, our, our neurological balance you know look, look at this today like uh, depression is, is through the roof um, the gaming is, is has gone up you know we are completely we, we are sort of hypnotizing ourselves and ignoring the problems that exist and the challenge. The imperative I call this the anthropotechnogenic imperative, and this challenge that I issue to people is: once, once you have realized and accepted that if we do not change our civilization and we do not change the way that we can constructively engage with technology and lever technology to serve each other, then uh, we we failed. You know, I'm I'm challenging people to, to engage more thoroughly, thoroughly with reality in a way that is we're not engaging with reality today.
0: All right. So, if I were to try to clean that up the way I understood it, I would say creating avenues for intelligent selfishness will permit us to stay together in the world where we are instead instead of having to craft new worlds, virtual, Martian, or otherwise, where we can project our broken dreams at. But therein lies a a challenge opportunity, or a chat that's a new word I just created, Um, that as the core moves to virtual um, realms, there will be actually a release of pressure for us to occupy and fruitify these these now real and less valuable spaces, right? And if only the established economical powers were not so good at release, releasing the grip and then regripping it. And you can, like, maybe I'm just de- describing the um, the emergent phenomenon of gentrification of like the Brooklyn's and Noikerns of the world, where they're forgotten for a decade or so, and then these. Powerful storytelling cultural signifiers move in, and then the system is really able and i 'm saying the system i almost feel ashamed of using this kind of language because it is sort of an image emergent factor it 's an ebb and flow of code of economical and cultural interest um, but yes, so i feel i i I love to be having this conversation with you, which I feel is the mother of all. Um, embedded po- possible conversations that we've always had until this point, and we had many, but also your diligent, disciplined, and caring effort of putting all of these resources into that text, which I haven't followed all the side quests yet. Yeah, the text contains numerous little links that you can go and explore for weeks, um, but it has enabled us to have this conversation, and I, I, I feel called upon me, an agency, in my small influence over other creators, that we should branch out this, this like mother resource into many other things, including rap songs and and um, video essays and cartoons, whatever it is. Um, the first battleground is a mimetic one, right? Um, and I feel that it's inevitable from your proponent position that you have to have a positivistic point of view. You have to feel like there is a solution that can be found. And, and I feel called upon to feel cynic, which is not, it's, this is a reversal of our relational dynamic, <laughs> uh, <laughs> right? Yeah, that's, that's fair to say. Um, but I'm game. I want to play. And, and I think our listeners will want to play too.
1: So if they want to read your text, where should they go? So both um, part one and part two of uh, DAOs in the Global Economic Order, that's the name of the series, are available on the Curve Labs Medium page. Um, Part three is yet to be released. Um, Part three is titled The Maximum Stress Society, and I'm writing it as we speak.
0: Yeah, and that, I love the I love the name of the second part, and we haven't mentioned today. The second part is
1: cryptospheric eco So
0: the cryptospheric eco is available at Medium
1: or uh, medium, the website, the, the the Curve Labs Medium.
0: Curve Labs Medium. So I just Google Curve Labs Medium or cryptospheric ecotechnics, and I can find it. And it will be linked in the description of this episode in anchor.fm. If you're listening on Spotify or some other weird platform, just make sure you check the, the description of the episode. The, the link will be there. And um, do you have any other cultural actions you want to offer to the people?
1: I would encourage people to take time to sit and reflect because we are in a period of transformation. 2020 may go down in the history books as a transition year between a relatively peaceful and stable international order to one that is not so peaceful. And the best thing that we can do for ourselves right now and the best thing that we can do for our families is to sit and think about the type of society that we want to live in in 40 years, the type of world that we want to have. And I think, or I hope, that if people take the time to do this reflection and and to make it a part of their daily praxis, um, they'll come to many of the same conclusions that I have about what is important, um, not just to me or to the people that I know, but important to humanity as a whole. It's perfect. Um, as a tradition of the Mass Adoption
0: Podcast, there's somebody who left a question that I should tell you, and then you would answer that question, and you would send some question forward. Okay. But honestly, I don't feel like doing it. This is fucking 2020. All traditions are null and void.
1: Well, can I can I ask a question to the next guy?
0: Maybe. Like, you can try. I, I will see if I'll, I'll bring it up. Um.
1: Oh, God, now I'm, I'm lacking a question. Do, do Just we know do the it. The, the Just do it. You can do it. Okay. Oh, God. Uh, do, do you like music? What kind of music do you like? <laughs> <laughs> That's so good.
0: That I'll ask that. I think the next guy should be either Peef from Metagame, which I've said this like in four episodes already because we keep rescheduling, and or it will be Duncan from uh, Deacon from The Raid Guild.
1: Well, I would love to know what music either one of those guys like. I'm All right. Sure so we're gonna ask have him. some artists to recommend. Would be we're delightful.
0: gonna rock out. If you listen to the last episode with Vendo, it ends with his rap music,
1: I mean, it's pretty good. If I can, if I can make one last show, I have a playlist on Spotify. Yes, and this is this cycles. Is, uh, it's called Cycles, and it's the greatest thing that I've ever created. Um,
0: half of it. Yeah.
1: Half <laughs> of it is great, according to Felipe. Um, it's fourteen days of music that I put together over the course of the last uh, 15 years, and it, it really is a, a journey. It is a journey. And maybe we can share the, the Spotify follow link as well to, to Cycles. Uh, okay,
0: yeah. I'll try to do that if I knew how to do it, but I'll figure it out. I'll send you the link. Yes, sir. Thank you for coming over, Pat. And let's just cut it right here because we kept saying goodbye for about five more minutes. Have a nice day and I hope this was exciting and informative. See you again soon!